Good evening, Patriots. And this is the end of Sunday, January 7th in the year 2023, 24. Guys, I've made the mistake on that. And still getting used to it, though. It's been a, the 2023, you can't tell me that didn't go fast. It was like high speed race through. I, I was having a hard time even keeping up with everything we did in 2023, which in itself was pretty amazing. We did a lot of stuff, accomplished a lot of things. Hey, just so I remind you, remember, we have Bard's community. And it's, it's great. It's community online. It's very much like a Telegram Facebook. And it's a great place to connect. We're really setting this up for our push now into 2024. So we have our own place on our own server. And we're getting over there to start connecting with people, making groups. And we're going to start being able to help people connect locally, which is a big deal going forward. There's all sorts of, there's going to be a lot more exciting events kept happening through this year on that space. And we're working as well right now on being able to host the podcast over there as well, which will be good. So we're just continuing to make some redundancies and security improvements so that if we end up with problems, which are, I think we should say are probably likely rather than unlikely as we go into 2024. I'm not trying to spellcast anything, but we're, <laughs> let's face it, we're dealing with psychopath retards. And, um, 
who love children. I don't know what else to say. And they'll do anything they can to protect that. And and, and that name for me is literally going to be the g- generic way of how do you describe your government and your military leadership in the senior capacities, your corporate leadership, and leadership in education systems and law. I would say, well, um, generally speaking, I would classify them as psychopath pedophiles that have a strain of retardation in them that hate this country and want everybody to be their slaves, pretty much. And let's not forget they're all complicit in some way or another trying to kill the the population of this nation. So I do, do think that puts you at a high level of mental instability, just saying. Lots of things happening in this first week and lots of things I want to reflect on and how we ground in this because you can hear the children in the background are getting ready for dinner. So it will be a little noisy tonight, perhaps. We'll see how well the mic picks up me and not them. But the the fact is that we're heading into a pretty busy year. If we look at the pace of what happened since January 1st and where we are today in January 7th, it's going to be a very fast-paced year. And I think it's something that we have to start with really looking at and grounding ourselves in what is important. Now, before we get going tonight, I just want to remind you that sleep is one of the most important things we can do. And we happen to have like the best sleep company in the entire nation, which is MyPillow.com. And if you head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards, you're going to find all sorts of amazing sales right now. And they are great sales. There are sales on, that continue on. You can use your Bards code, B-A-R-D-S, my most favorite items in the my pillow inventory happen to be the Giza cotton sheets, their comforters, their down comforters, and their my pillow 2.0s. All fantastic products. They also have a uh, mattress topper with the same thread that's in the in the my pillow 2.0. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's a heat regulating thread. It really makes a difference, and so it's it does create a lot of comfort and joy in your sleep, especially when. Sleep doesn't necessarily rank at the high level of getting enough of it, unfortunately, in this time. So we want to maximize what we have. So head on over to MyPillow.com forward slash Bards. Use your promo code Bards. Take advantage of all those great savings. And right now they have free shipping on everything, which is fantastic. Great company, great product line, and truly a great company. They have Mike Lindell has led a company to not only build great products, but to equally to be able to lead a country in this fight for liberty, which is another reason they hate him so much and why we love him so much. So it's kind of that dual relationship again, what the deep state hates, we love. So again, mypillow.com forward slash Bards, promo code Bards. I want to start with a story, a post today that was on X. And um, let me find it real quick. It's it's really neat. This is from the, from the account Genghis Khan. And I said today, that's not actually true. It posted the other day, but it's really a powerful story. And I think it centers a lot of where we need to be as we head into some very challenging times. One thing I want to speak to right right now is faith. And a lot of where we are is a lot of unknowns ahead. We are facing a monumental wall. It seems like a wall of organization and capacity and capabilities within the deep state. And they are, it has been funded by us. Let's be honest, our taxpayer dollars, every single time you pay your taxes, you're helping them wage a better war against us. And that's the whole discussion we're going to have tomorrow night. And that discussion is going about to be about who are, creditor, who are the creditors, and it's us. So tomorrow night, tune in. It's going to be a really good action-driven, action-item-driven show 
tomorrow night about the next steps well beyond the letter of the 231, which we're going to talk about tonight again. And we will continue to have the features on the letter of the 231 with guests this week coming in and talking about what that means. But tomorrow night's a, it's going to be an extension of all of this and kind of the actions again as we the people can take that are instrumental. But we're facing a fairly significant wall right now. And if we sit back and we look at this, it's, um, and I think this is again where the experience, if you can find stories or have the opportunity to read of great stories of heroism, especially with small unit operations like special forces, I think you're going to find a lot of resolve in your heart of what can be done with the few that are committed. We find those stories in the Bible. We find them with, with Gideon and the 300. We find them with David and Goliath. We even find them with Joshua and Jericho when it seems like impossible odds and coming, overcoming the, the walls of a city. All of that centers ultimately on faith and a, a deeper faith than most of us have had to step into. I would say all of the, I would say everybody, I'm just going to say blindly. God is pushing everybody to walk into a deeper level of faith than ever before. And at the center of faith is love because with love comes unbelievable levels of trust. Part of that is what, if you can imagine yourself walking into a space where everything around you and I want you to just take a moment and reflect on this. Everything around you is so dark that you can see nothing. You can, it's almost deafening. And if you've ever been in a space like that, you'll know what I'm saying. You're so consumed with the darkness that there is literally no light. You can't see before you, can't even see your hand before your face. This is the level of faith we have to step into, a faith that is so profound, so consuming that we step into the love of God knowing that we cannot focus anywhere on the step before. We can't even see where we came from. We can't see left to right. We have to put 100% of our love and faith in him. And when we do that and anchor ourselves there, we're in the place we need to be to win this war and to live our lives more than that. So let me read this story for Genghis Khan. This is Genghis Khan um, as he's given his testimony. And this is really his testimony is what this is. Is It's a story of he was a Australian soldier that married a Texas woman. And I want you to hear the story that he talks about, and it's his testimony, and I just think it has a profound lesson in it that we're going to continue with in a moment. So here it starts. It says, it's titled True Love. And this is, like I said, this is the uh, Twitter account, Genghis underscore Khan 911. It says, eight years ago, I got married in a simple ceremony in a courthouse with a judge. My wife was pregnant. We were broke and living in our car in the woods. We had nothing. My wife wore a thrift store prom dress, and I had a come and take it t-shirt and an old hoodie. Stacy cried on the way there and told me she would wreck my life if I married her. I asked her if she, if she believed in me. She said yes. So I told her we got this, and in, in, so I told her we got this, and we went in where the judge married us in the hallway outside the office where people were getting their vehicle vehicles registered. We had had a pro, we had had a proper wedding planned where my son in Australia would fly over and be my best man, but at the last minute, my ex back home canceled his flight and ruined our wedding plans. So we canceled our wedding and just eloped. We were devastated, but today after eight years. My son, now 24, and visiting from Australia, will get married. We will get married properly in, in from our friends and family and renew our vows. We've since had four kids together, 
and we owned three farms. My wife never, ever gave up on believing in me and my dream of seeing her in a proper wedding dress walking down an aisle to marry me in a, is about to come true. My eldest son gets to be my best man finally after eight years. God has been kind to me. I never lost faith. In the next year, don't lose faith either. Don't ever lose faith, patriots. We got this. Genghis Khan. It's a good post. Post it end up choking me up. That's a good post. That's got some Holy Spirit in it. This is powerful. And it's a great reminder as to never, ever giving up. And that's truly the place we have to walk in this coming in these coming months ahead. There is going to be some real shakeups. And I think the most important thing that happened on the first, and I really mean this historically, was this letter of 231. Every one of us understands, we put our name on it, that everyone that follows, these trolls are going to try to come after in one way or another. That's what they do. They intimidate. They shake fear. They want, if they could take all the 231 and they could stick them in jail, they would do it because they would expect all of you to bow down, to cry, to give up, to say enough is enough, we give in. But this is what they don't understand. They don't understand the power of faith and the mightiness in which God flows through our heart. We have people like Jeremy Brown that are in jail, special forces. He's given his life and he will not waver. And he will not ever waver because of who he is. And he reminds us of the threat that's there. We have to continue to fight that fight and in honor of all those past and all that we are to come to understand that the people we are dealing with right now only understand one thing, the vile hatred for who we are. And hatred is blind. It's the one glorious thing about it. It is vicious, but it is blind. And it is it is intense, it intimidates, it screams, it yells, it throws things. It even tries to harm, maim, kill, but, but it's blind. The cartels are notorious for understanding hatred. And they do. They use the most atrocious methods to extract pain in a community, to leave people in fear. But even that's falling apart now. There's a community, several communities, one in particular I'm thinking of down in Mexico right now that has driven the cartels out. How did they do it? They just turned the tables. They went after the cartel the way the cartel came at them and they put a boundary on their communities and said, you will not cross here. And then in the, within that, they loved each other. See, here's the, here's the thing about love. And we use this term loosely, and I think incorrectly, in the way we describe it, because love in our culture becomes so physical. Love is about, if I say love somebody, we immediately think of people hugging each other. If I say love somebody, we want to think of somebody, oh, they did harm, but I'm going to come over to my dinner table and you're still going to have dinner together. And that's, that's forgive and forget and love. That's not a biblical love. Love is a love of, of appreciating who the person is beyond the demonic that influences them. Love is seeing past that and understanding at the heart of them, God created them. But love also accepts the fact that there's consequences with truth. And truth is harsh. Truth is often brutal. Truth is a sword that itself can cut and, and destroy. But love is never going to be consumed with the hate of vengeance. 
Love is that place as we sit there and we embrace, we are embracing forgiveness. Somebody asked me the other day, and it's amazing this keeps coming up, but I just keep, I repeat these stories, not because it's, it's, it's because it's an important thing for people to be reminded of. When we say for, forgiveness, it's forgiving the burden that they have on my heart to turn it over to Father so that my feelings towards them do not burden me in my walk with God. But if somebody violates your trust and, and you've forgiven them, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be inviting them to dinner the next day or having them over for a family dinner and being back to be chums. Yes, that can happen. The problem we have in society as a whole is we've lost the idea fundamentally of what trust is. And so we tend to blunder, not tend, it happens all the time now. People blunder. They say things out of turn. They say things they should never say, and they cause harm. And so in turn, what they do is they, they get to the root of trust. Because they're so accustomed to working on social media. They're so accustomed to not being accountable for what they say. They're so accustomed to working in a world where what they say does not have direct consequences. Let's flip that around on a team. And I speak from this from a different perspective because my walk in the, in the world of special operations was tangential. Meaning that I was never raised up on a team like special forces guys are. And, and you know my love for special forces. I, I do because I think that they have the true heart of America in the core of them. And it's not taking away from anybody else in the military, so don't get, get your back up. But special forces embody something greater. They embody something truly profound in the way we are as Americans. They're truly overcomers. They take against the odds of all things to literally look and say, there's 12 of us and we can take an entire nation down. And they know they can do it. They work together in teams. They trust each other in profound ways. And, and this is the sort of networking that they also understand that when there's a problem, it has to be dealt with because the team itself will become weakened. So there's this, a process of team rules, and it's a process of honestly laying things out and airing grievances without any limitations. And it can get brutal. Most people would, would cringe at some of these conversations that happen, but it would remind you of the same type of conversations our founding fathers had when they wrote the Declaration of Independence, when they were writing the Constitution, in passion debates, dis difficult discussions about morality and choices and who they were as men. And these sorts of intense conversations sort things out. Sometimes a person doesn't make the cut. And on a rare, more rare occasion than anything, a person may have to be set aside on the team. That's a pretty extreme situation. But most of the time, things are worked out because in the heart and soul of people, it comes out and the team comes together to support one another, to lift each other up. Because if they don't, they fail. That measure of living in the world like we are today has become lost. And it becomes lost because men have been detached from their function in life. They live in the worlds of non-work. So much of our work these days is not rooted in trades or working in actual work or putting our hands in the soil, but rather in the, in the, ta in the tasks of management or the tasks of paper, paper pushing or the task of cubicle operations. And in this, we've separated people from the true root of who we are and they're not having to rely on each other anymore because all you get is a salary and all you have to do is buy your food at a store. When I lived in Minnesota, and I lived up north in Minnesota, it was a rather profound experience because it, I lived up in Greenbush, Minnesota, which if you look on the map is about an hour from the Canadian border. It gets cold in the winter. 
And it taught me a deep respect for love thy neighbor. There are some people up there that, quite frankly, I couldn't stand. But I will tell you that the locals knew very well that you never got somebody upset to the point of hatred. You tolerated their imperfections because in the dead of winter, you needed them. And you never knew who you were going to need. This is a place where you have stories that everybody has a story, let's put it this way, of being caught in a snowdrift, of having to live in their car for two or three days until a snowplow or rescue can come in. Everybody has a story of being cut off from power and others where there's nothing to heat the house and they have no food in the dead of winter. Everybody has that in one way or another. The whole relationships of the communities are built on an extreme environment that people survive, and they survive because they know how to come together when it most counts. This is the sense of what we have to start doing as a nation. These people that are running this information, they roll the game, they control the board, they run the information ops, they want division, they seek hatred, they do everything they can to constantly fuel division and hatred. They did it with the vax. And even in the vax itself, as we have to start realizing that we have to live with the consequences, we fought hard. We fought hard to keep people from taking it, knowing very well where it was going to arrive, knowing very well that we had arrived at a point of death and a point of out of the, of the byproduct of it and that we would be suffering those consequences. Even this morning in our show, we're praying for somebody who's lost two or three members of their family and they're looking at losing more because they all took the vax, cancers, tumors, heart myocarditis. All these things are happening in real time and they're watching their families fall apart when they tried to tell their families they couldn't and they shouldn't do it. Nobody listened. So the, the, what the deep state has always counted on is this would leave blood rifts and pain that we could not overcome. And this is where we have to be overcomers. We have to begin to reach into this world in a different way now. We fought one battle. We did the best we could. We saved as many as we can. Now we pivot and we move into this fight in 2024, which is now to bring unity. And the unity that we bring in 2024 has to be centered truly on the power that love is dictated to us by the Bible and what God expects of us. And this love is deeper and greater than anything we, could, we have stepped in before. It is a love that sees past all of these imperfections. It's a love that loves thy neighbor and even loves thy, uh, my enemy. And I will love my enemy to the point that my enemy's weakness, defenses are broken, that they have no capacity to affect me, that anything they say to me or do to me makes no difference. To take away that which they feed on the most, which is to try to feed on your fear and to try to break you because you're afraid of them, that they become your jailer, they become your, your executioner, they become your God. And the answer is never. And that level of love, when they try to strike a blow at you, we strike a blow back three times over, four times over, sevenfold to say, I love you. And I will forgive you for what you do to me because you are not of this world in what you think, but you're captured in this world and doing the bidding of the dark Lord. These are the sorts of positions we have to take that literally as Jesus has walked. And they're not easy. And that isn't to say that there isn't justice because there is justice and justice is coming. But what that 231 represented on on the 1st of January, when it was released, when that letter went out, what that 231 represented was a legal, peaceful way to develop and to deliver justice and accountability into the system. People say, well, what's next? What's next is the process of people stepping up and doing the same thing over and over and over. To replicate that, to step in and lean into that, and to start holding people accountable through the processes we have. 
we are we deal with a system right now that has been completely hijacked and for the most part our governmental system from top to bottom is ruined but we have to start over within the framework that our founding fathers gave us and as we move in and take this over from bottom up we literally have to purge it get rid of all the things we don't need throw it out get rid of it and reset this thing back to a republic as our founding fathers intended that's a county by county fight that is a county by county step each of the way that starts to reset our nation in a way that our founding fathers probably understood pretty well because of the power of the sheriff that they gave us but it's not going to work with hate it's only going to work with love let me read this to you this is 1 corinthians 13 the excellence of love i speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love for others growing out of God's love for me, then I have become only a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, just as annoying, just an annoying distraction. And if I have the gift of prophecy and speak a new message from God to the people and understand all mysteries and possess all knowledge, and if I have all sufficient faith so that I can remove mountains, but I do not have love reaching out to others, I am nothing. If I give my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it does, not, it does me no good at all. That last is profound because that deals with the martyrdom spirit. And if we do not do these things within the place of love, love greater than anything we can imagine, we do not have the opportunity to maximize what, is, what God gives us and it falls deaf and falls flat. Love endures with patience and serenity. Love is kind and thoughtful and is not jealous or envious. Love does not brag and is not proud or arrogant. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take account a wrong endured. It does not rejoice at injustice, but rejoices with the truth when right and truth prevail. Love bears all things, regardless of what comes, believes all things, looking for the best in each one, hopes all things, remaining steadfast during difficult times, endures all things without weakening. Love never fails. It never fades nor ends. But as, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for the gift of special knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, for our knowledge is fragmentary and incomplete. But when that which is complete and perfect comes, that which is incomplete and partial will pass away. When I ask a child, I talked like a child. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now, it is this time of imperfection we see in a mirror dimly, a blurred reflection, a riddle, an enigma. But then, when the time of perfection comes, we see reality, face to face. Now I know in part, just in fragment, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known by God. And now there remain faith, abiding trust in God and His promises, hope, confident expectations of eternal salvation, love, unselfish love of others growing out of God's love for me. These three, the choicest graces, but the greatest of these is love. If there's one question we all have to ask ourselves in this time on earth is, have we learned how to love? 
And that's a profound statement. And it is a difficult time when you look at the play field that we are in, this battlefield, which we're surrounded by the insanity of the world, and you see the intricacies of what is being done, you realize that everything about this is to pull us apart. There's nothing in our society that's run by these fools that has any intention of doing anything other than to pull us apart. It is about division. It is about deceit. It is about hatred. And what they do constantly is they try to pull us to a place that we can't see each other in the heart that God gave us. We talked about this the other night, and I, and I will repeat it because it's important. God created all things. That includes God created Muslims, by the way. Just thought I'd throw that little curveball in. So if you think for a second that God is asking us to go to war in the Middle East to kill Muslims because somehow the Jews are telling you to do it, you've missed the entire point of the scripture. This is probably one of the most important framings. And the crazy part is, is the number of people that are ramping up right now to try to go and destroy and kill Palestinians in the name of a Jewish state that was bought by the Rothschilds should put everything in question about scripture for people, but they don't. They go fervently into this and they say, I will follow you rather than putting their eyes on Christ. And in the process, they forget the entire lesson of love. We cannot be caught in these fervent moments to where we lose our perspective and get rooted in our emotions. There is nowhere in the walk in Christ that it says, please exterminate a race of people. Understand what is being put before us in this next few weeks and months. They are trying to draw us into a war, a war that they want to eliminate every single Palestinian on the face of the earth. I hope you understand what I'm saying. You tell me one war we have ever known in our modern time that tries to exterminate a race other than one, and that would be Hitler. This war in the Middle East that people and Christians and pulpits are standing behind, waving the flag and saying we must go to war, is about exterminating a race of people, the Palestinians. Exterminating them down to every child, every woman, and every man. And they're doing everything they can to make it happen and put our blood on it to have the American men and women fight that war and spread their blood on it so that we carry the stain of one of the greatest atrocities in human history. This is not love. This is not faith. This is not religion. This is not biblical. It's ideological insanity. And we forget all of these perspectives when we get wrapped up in this belief of a two-tier faith of, under Jesus that somehow the Jews are the privileged and they are telling the rest of those goyim what you need to do. And these goyim go out here and obediently obey and say, yes, I shall, I will, because if I don't, somehow, what? That we're not going to go to heaven? I've got news for you. I want you to sit for a minute and, and talk to anybody you know about this moment and ask them, what would Christ do? Would Christ be standing up there and be looking across the way and going, oh, yes, absolutely. Please go forth and eliminate the entire race of the Palestinians. And then when you get done with that, please go forth and start a war with every Muslim out there to try to exterminate them while you're at it. Please provoke a war on a global scale that would cause insanity and, and absolute death. Absolutely not. He would never do that. This is a man who sat. He was, a, he was God in human form who sat as a human, with prostitutes and tax collectors. They were the bottom. And even there, he sought to bring them to the glory of Christ and the glory of heaven and to save them. But ask yourself as well, what did he see in them that he couldn't stand in the Pharisees? 
you would expect that the Son of God would be in there negotiating with the Pharisees, trying to convince them to do certain things, trying to raise them up. Instead, he was in rebuking them, calling them names. He was flipping tables outside and pulling out a whip and whipping those that were in the market. That's righteous anger. And yet, where you would, ex- where in this modern world where we condemn so quickly people like prostitutes, he's sitting with them. He's having conversations with them. He's not even with his disciples. He's sitting with them. Imagine how the world is seeing him. They're looking at him and going, what is this guy? You can imagine the scuttlebutt around that. Is he sleeping with them? This is the way people are. Instead, he's sitting and having conversations with somebody, with people that everyone else says are scum. They're reject. They're the lowest caliber of the society. And he sees value in them to raise them up in kingdom, like he saw value in the thief on the cross. I don't care what the Palestinians are. What I know is that whatever they are, they are something that we should be engaging in the love of Jesus. And that's how you win a war. You don't win a war by dropping 30,000 bombs on them and then suddenly telling the United States to send more humanitarian aid. And when you do it, make sure and include a vaccine for every child in the camp. And you don't go and wipe out men, women and children with Apache helicopters and then turn to the Pentagon and say, please, we need more. We know we've been killing women and children, but we still need more to continue the same. That's genocide. And that's the government that now rules our nation. That's the leadership in our military that rules the nation. That's the leadership in the corporate boardrooms that drives the military industrial complex. That's who they are. And none of that frames on the foundation of Christ. Everything about that is of Satan and is of the pits of hell. Our country has been hijacked by the darkness of the father of lies. And it has infected the pulpit, it has infected people in their faith. And it goes to the principal issue that somehow in this time, politics has become twisted with religion, which has stepped away completely from the book we call the Bible. The Bible is not a religion. The Bible is not politics. It's not an ideology. It's a walk in faith in the way that we walk and live and breathe in the world that puts us accountable to God. It's one of the great things that God gave me when we renamed this channel from Bards of War to Bards FM. As he said, the Bible is your field manual. It's the guide. It's the guidebook. It's everything in there that we need to win this war. The tools of war, the techniques, the the blessings. All of these are in here. What we need to pray for, how we need to pray. How we win this war over and over and over. This is what we do. And the Bible gives us that template. But it's not a religion that lives itself within dead stone walls, within a pulpit that tells it to listen to them rather than reading the book within, within this idea of living in a pew where you do nothing except throw money in an offering plate and expect to be renewed each week. And unfortunately, those structures that have happened and the church has died, the Holy Spirit's been kicked out, and what lives there is death. And so it's easy to step into these places. This is the same churches that are literally stepping in and saying, okay, we will now support Israel. And then you have other churches that are saying, we'll support Israel and we're including LGBTQ in our, in our congregation. This is the insanity of the world we live in. To take what the God's word and to water it down, to twist it, to turn it on its head, and it's nothing like it was. So we come to a verse that's very critical to understand in this time and what will guide us in these coming days. And that verse is this, love what God loves, hate what God hates. And that's the word. So what is it that God hates? 
And I will guarantee you God hates killing his children willfully and wantingly in the name of in his name because that does not settle up anywhere in the Bible. I will guarantee you that he hates the fact that we openly embrace this dysfunctional and abhorrent practice of having children be mutilated and being told that they're imperfect from death or from birth to literally kill off any opportunity that they have of reproducing in this world. I will assure you that God hates the idea that we have willfully gone about destroying the opportunity to have children and beyond just what we want and closing off that seed so that we can't prosper gloriously as he desires us to, because that's his greatest gift, the gift of life and the gift of co-creation. So when we get into these places of wondering where we walk, ask yourself what Jesus would do. And it's going to pivot on its critical place of understanding that what Jesus is going to pivot on is love, but love is mighty. We go to the garden and where we have Peter carrying the sword and Peter draws the sword of steel to stay the attack, cuts off the ear. He saves the man and yet saves the man by cutting off the ear and protects Jesus. That was what he swore to do. But at the same time, as that happens, Jesus, who is the true master in the moment, shows Peter a different level of love. Peter gave Jesus his love. He drew his sword to stand before his his master and to put his life on the line to truly do what was no one else would do. He was willing to die to protect his master and in so doing precisely cut an ear off that stayed the attack and left that man stopped right before him bleeding. But Jesus took the ear and healed it and restored it and in the process brought him into the fold of heaven. That's the power of love and the mightiness of the sword of spirit. These things, as we bring this into our life, it creates a greater strength. And the more that we are vulnerable in the world, the more that we give testimony to ourselves, the more that we're honest before the throne to say, Father, here's my heart. He knows your heart. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. He knows our hearts. But are we willing to go to him and say, here's my heart. Here's what I don't want anybody else to see. And when we do this, you're going to find something else. He's going to ask you to share it with others. That's the testimonies into the world. These are the difficult things we have to speak that we don't want to speak. And as we do and become vulnerable, we become a greater part of him. And he becomes a greater part of us. And we grow closer into the throne. So and with this, we, great, we accomplish the greater processes of the discipline of being soldiers in the body of Christ. This is our daily rigor. This is our daily training. This is what we do each and every day. And it begins by digging into the word, getting deep in the word, deeper and deeper in the word, so that the word begins to marinate within us. It means listening to it even on audio in between times. It means going to bed with it on audio so that the word begins to become part of us. And that becomes our true basis of our weapons of war. And with that, it isn't just memorizing, it's letting the word marinate within you so it becomes a greater message that God always delivers. And with this, we begin to see the revival of the true sense of the church, for the church is within us and it has no walls and has no limits. And this is the most powerful place we walk into in 2024, because we now walk into the place where God has placed, is put before me these words. And this is how I'm following it and what I'm speaking here on this channel, because God placed it on my heart. And it is this. We have three critical areas this year to revive the church, to raise up the shepherds, the spiritual shepherds, and in all of this, to continue with our missions to expand the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is local, not global. We are now in a local place where we have to constantly and fervently pursue the word in our communities to raise people up and to follow that short list, as Pastor Dave Bryant always calls it, the short list 
of what we must deliver in the authorities that we have to speak the gospel of Jesus Christ, to heal the sick and the broken, to cast out the demons and do deliverance on people and to raise the dead. And then we seek the greater works. What those greater works are are many. It's not things that we haven't necessarily a map to, but we're given a glimpse of it because Peter can walk on water when Jesus is walking on water. He kept his eyes on Jesus. And that's the most critical part of that moment is with his eyes on Jesus, he was able to walk on water. So imagine what we do in this coming year when we keep our eyes on Jesus. We step away from the news cycles and the insanity of the world. The world that is constantly and forever trying to shut us down, trying to break us, divide us, trying to turn us on its head. And with this, we have the most amazing and most intense experience ever where we raised begin to stand up as the true children of the Most High. We are the ones now that speak the mightiness of the word. We are the ones that crush the kingdoms that, that these, in these empires that this evil has built. We crush their strongholds and their fortresses. And we're waging that war in the spirit. The war is primarily and first and foremost in the spirit. It is profound what it is. And when we understand how insignificant that war is, we are understanding what we are doing. There will be those, likely, that will be called in such a time as this, that will be called to walk that path of Jericho, that will be called to walk that path to raise the sword of steel. But God will put that on their heart and they will walk as the, as the hands of God himself. And some of those we may know, some of those we may never know, and it's okay. But the most important thing is we all begin in the same place. Everything is about God. Every victory is his. Every victory is how he leads us. We pray before, we pray during, we pray after. We pray for his guidance. We pray for where he wants us to place our step. We pray for how we, when we have angst or anger towards somebody, we pray into that to let him show us how to love that person and forgive them. Because everything is about bringing people back to the kingdom. Everything is about bringing the fold in such a way that in when we do this and we raise this up in profound ways, we are rebuilding the kingdom, and that is what we are doing. So we have a profound mission ahead of us, and this is one that is going to demand every bit of it for us in such a glorious way that we will prevail in the victory that Christ gave us on the cross to bring that victory into the world. We do that with constantly in prayer, constantly and unceasingly in prayer and seeking the word. And we get deeper into it than we ever have been. We are into the looking for the clarity which he gives, the wisdom which we give, and above all, loving and supporting one another in the true body of Christ. That's the mightiness of the sword of spirit. We seek it. We pursue it. You have to have a hunger for it. And you have to have a willingness to lay it all down. Everything in your life, lay it all down. There is nothing in your life that you can put out here that isn't can be so sacred that you can't let it go. You have to be willing to put it before the throne and say, God, it is yours, not mine. And when we do this over and over, we find that we're stripped of the things and the chains that bind us to this earth. And as we do that over and over, we're freeing ourselves into him and in the obedience into him. And we arrive at a critical place. We arrive in the place of walking in the yes. And when we walk in the yes, it becomes an, un, an, an unrestrained and a no hesitation moment when God says, do something, we move. And we do so in a way that everything in our life begins to change. We don't plan the same way. We pray into it. We don't make the articulation of saying what I'll do. Retirement is a great example. I will retire and save this amount of money. It matters not anymore because our trust in him is so profound. And this is completely antithetical to the world in which we grew up. 
The world which we grow up says we plan our future. We have our destiny. We are, it is up to us to build the future. It has never been like that. This has been a world that we have done and must always walk in, which is God's world, and we are a subject of him, for we are the children of the Most High. And as we do this and raise up mightily, we start to understand a much greater place in which we are in, and we start to understand the greater purpose which he always intended. There is the glory and the beginning of our inheritance, which he's always had as we choose him in free will, what he will give to us. The church gets revived. The church of Acts comes to life. The miracles of the living God become witnessed. And people then begin to rise up, not questioning whom they serve, but asking how they can serve him greater. Those are big things. And so we go back to the 231 on the 1 of January, a profound moment in our history. Not because these 231, these 231 people were significant or special above anybody else, but because it was done. Because in the calling of the moment that God put on their heart, they put their name on a document and God followed that through. And we are seeing this thing move and shaking and waking people up in a profound way. And as they do this, and as they do this more and more, we come to a place where the country begins to wake up and realize that the time is now. As Gideon's 300 blew the horns and broke the pots of light, they were what was remaining of the 31,000. But it was the people that went back to the village that woke up after they did their task and pursued the enemy to its end. We are in a war, a war of a profound kind in the nature. It is a war of unconventional kind. It is a war we call fifth generation warfare and even sixth generation warfare. It's a war designed to turn things on its head, to put people against people, to strip away the ability to identify who an enemy and foe, who your enemy is and who your friend is. It's an idea of ideological fighting that gets into your head and, and separates things, uses psychological warfare to twist truth. It turns everything on its head so that you don't you become disoriented. But in all of this, there's only one compass that gets you through. And that's the Bible, the word, and your relationship with God. And when you have that, no matter what they throw at you, your armor is strong and you see the truth, you walk the truth, and the truth will set everyone free, not just yourself. Patriots, let's pray. Father God, we are blessed here today as we come together in assembly and reflection of this year of where it has begun, an amazing year, seven days already in, and we are finding a momentum and, a, and an intensity that we've never imagined or seen before. This is a time which more than ever, we have to lean into the word. And so Father, today, the prayer and the blessing we ask that falls on everyone's heart is to seek with a hunger a hunger of almost starvation, the word, to dig into scripture, to begin at the beginning and read to the end, to find that fire in the belly, to seek and read and constantly pursue, to hear you, to hear your voice beyond the words and to let the Bible read us as much as we read it, to give us the greater wisdom that comes from Holy Spirit, to reach in and say, Father, we need the, ne the next level of tools to fight this war and to embrace all of that as we step in to know that we have the power. We have the power of the apostolic, of the prophetic, we pray for that and ask that that blessing comes upon all. We have the power of deliverance. Give those tools to us now, Father, as we move forward in the greater way. We have the power of miracle healing all through you. We have the power to raise the dead. All of these things, Father, and more were blessed to us and given to us as the authorities by Christ. But in the process, we have to also be refined. So let us be refined. Let us have the courage to step into the fires like Meshach and Bendigo and to know that when we come out and we will become out greater and better than we were before. 
we will be refined. All that is not of you shall be burned away. All that is of you shall be reformed and remade in the greatness of how you intended us to be. And in the true sense of deliverance, let us be turned into a, the things and awakened into the purpose of you have for us here on earth. Let us walk those paths in a mighty way. So, Father, we pray this blessing over all that hear this podcast, Bards Nation, Patriots. Let it resonate deep. Let us understand that we give glory to you in all victories that we have going forward. And we raise our hands in amen and know that this fight cannot be won without prayer. It cannot be won without our dedication and conviction to you that we are obedient to you in all things and will never bow to an enemy. Bless us and guide us. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Patriots, it's a really great start of the year. And we're going to be on fire going forward. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here in this time and this place for just such a time as this. We are at war. So walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy, mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you tomorrow morning for Bended Knee. Until then or until the next time, God bless, good night, thank you, and out for now. Chasing mountains I can't climb Holding 
out of my mind like a dark in the distance. Out of my mind, like the dark in the distance. Why?